Hi, I'm Bob. And I'm Sherry. And today we're having Mostly Politics uh, segment we're going to call Conversations with Bob and Sherry. We're going to talk about issues, and at some point we intend to make this a live weekly show. Yeah, I think that's great. We have, um, the show has been on, we've been doing this for six months. I think this is a good time, especially with wrapping up the midterm election. Right. So today's topic will be the midterms. And in the future, we plan to hopefully have guests and things. But you know, our, our goal would be to just sort of contribute to the conversation, maybe uh add some perspectives that people aren't thinking of, that sort of thing. We, our, our goal is always to add value for our listeners. So that, that's what we'll try to do. All right, then. And we don't always agree. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> Sherry and I have conversations often offline, and uh, that's part of what led to this, is we have these sometimes long, contentious, back-and-forth discussions. We both have very different backgrounds and perspectives, and we just decided we're spending the time doing that anyway. Let's make a show out of it and you know, offer that to other people. So <laughs> you're, we're welcoming you into our conversations. There we go. All right. So on uh, the it's now Thursday, so two days after the 2022 midterms, um, Republicans were expecting a red wave. We didn't get a red wave. And I would say in Allegheny County in Pennsylvania, we had a bloodbath for Republicans. It was very disappointing. And I mean, all the uh, historical evidence and the polls on issues, everything pointed to a big win for Republicans. And it just, I mean, John Fetterman had pretty much anyone would admit a disastrous debate, but yet the Democrats pretty much cleaned up, especially in Allegheny County. So what do you think happened, Sherry? What, what, what would you say was some of the things that contributed to that? Well, after our discussion yesterday about this, I gave a lot of thoughts. Um, if we go back to the primary, uh, we had a few um, candidates that was running for the Senate seat. Um, in the very beginning was Sean Parnell, who was a very um, likable person who already built his name in the district. I think everybody was very disappointed. He wound up dropping out of the race. Um, so then we got three people was in the race was, uh, Dave McCormick, Dr. Oz and Kathy Barnett. Um, and Kathy Barnett was very exciting because she, um, she already was a TV personality. She is a conservative black woman and she has, uh, she's very tenacious. She's a very likable person as well. And I think the people did not like the fact that, um, Dave McCormick and Dr. Oz was not from the area. And I think that was the first thing against them. Um, I'm an immigrant from Hong Kong and China coming to Pennsylvania. One of the things when I first moved here, people say, people in Pennsylvania, they pl they're planters. So, you know, if you moved away, you come back. So once you're a Steeler fan, you're always a Steeler fan for life. I think that hometown thing, it's, I think people underestimate how important it is. For, I agree. That is big in the Pittsburgh and probably other parts of Pennsylvania. Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. I mean, it definitely 
to me, you know, rationally, I thought, oh, that doesn't matter. What's it matter if, uh, you know, because Hillary Clinton served a couple of terms in the New York Senate. She wasn't from New York that I know of. So, I mean, it happens all the time. But uh, I think you're right. I think, you, you know, that really hit home for a lot of Pennsylvanians. I can say on social media, I saw a lot of people commenting from that perspective that he's an outsider, a carpetbagger. So I do think that was effective. Well, another thing I felt that, um, you know, nobody expected um, Trump endorsing Dr. Oz because when Dr. Oz threw his hat in, there was a lot of question why Dr. Oz even participated in the Senate race among among the Republican voters. Um, So I think that was a big problem, big issue. And so... I think if we would have had a strong local candidate, which I, I was very surprised that we couldn't come up with one. And even Sean Parnell had a lot of personal issues. If the Republican Party would have backed him, he would have mm-hmm. generated a lot of excitement. And and I think he would have had a very good chance of winning. And, and so would Kathy Barnett, because it was very exciting, at least to me, to see a conservative black women representing the party and uh and i was disappointed at the time when trump did not endorse her instead of endorsing dr oz who became famous because of oprah right not a celebrity (laughs) endorsing a celebrity right right yeah i was particularly troubled with uh the way sean hannity went after her so you talk about meddling in pennsylvania politics i mean Mm -hmm. you know and he pretty openly said that we don't know who kathy barnett is but uh and dr oz is a good friend of mine so you know he was basically dedicated at least a week of his shows to helping his friend and hurting the person who pennsylvanians seem to be rallying behind well, absolutely. I was. Um, I don't think anybody should have meddling in Pennsylvania politics. I mean, I've been here for thirty years, but I still understand you have to earn the trust of Pennsylvanians. Even though mm-hmm. I'm just living in the neighborhood, you know, people are very emotionally bounded here. So I felt like um, maybe part of it is also rallying a hometown, you know, an an, an underdog. I felt mm-hmm. like that was probably part of the reason. And and Dr. Oz, I, I'm not, we don't have the data, but I'm thinking um, a lot of the Republicans probably did not vote for him. Well, I did see as one of the programs on TV, as they were going county by county, looking at percentage of votes, I did see where they said Oz was underperforming um, Republican, past Republicans, I think Trump and, and Biden particularly, in the rural counties, which are strongly Republican. They did say uh-huh. that he was underperforming in the red part of Pennsylvania. Yeah, and so I was a Sean Parnell fan and I was a Kathy Barnett fan, and I, um, so th- it, it's not, it, it may be disappointing, but it's not surprising. Right. Yeah. So I I considered the governor race the top of the ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I believe what happened was the Democrat message of abortion and threat to democracy beat um, economy and crime. 
So, you know, the, despite the polls and things we saw, Republicans thought, OK, this is all about the economy and crime. And it's a it's against the the current White House. So, you know, we've got this made. They didn't even address issues like abortion. Um, and I, I, I think that was a message designed to put fear. So fear is a good motivator. But also, I think because of uh, Mastriano, he was inaccessible. I mean, he didn't have press. He didn't do interviews. He didn't have press at his rallies and things. He started to do a little conservative media towards the end. But so they had clips of him, you know, no exceptions for abortions. So they painted him as this far right extremist. And they kind of used that to paint the entire GOP with this. And, and people were afraid of their abortion rights and and you know, the the January 6th that now conservatives don't take January 6th seriously. But in the mainstream media, it's constantly been, you know, talked about the hearings, the things like that. So it had to be taken seriously. And I don't I just feel like that it was not answered. And in big part because of Mastriano, um, I think that, you know, he was an easy target. And I personally, when I saw the videos that he did, I think he's an impressive person and he's well spoken so i think he could have countered that but he just didn't i mean i think he ran a terrible campaign well there, so there's a couple points here i i would probably disagree with you um during the primary pennsylvania gop had 10 governor candidates and at the end of the day mastriano had 20 percent of that vote that means 80% of Republican did not vote for him. Right. So, so, but he does have a very strong following. His, his base is like the Trump base. They show up in every rally. They're very outspoken. And I think Mastriano wasn't for the lockdown. And, and the Mastriano will not gain the popularity he did. Um, because of the COVID lockdown, he did his fireside chat, and a lot of people were looking for directions. But if you look at the history of Mastriano, he won a Senate seat on a special election when he won. He was only nine months into his job when COVID happened, and he, you know, that's when they passed Act 77 in the Republican legislature, passed Act 77 in the Pennsylvania House and Senate. And he was one of the legislators signed the bill. Regardless of what happened, I think in Pennsylvania politics, he is too new to the political scene. And he doesn't have a lot of political um, networking. He did not have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people backing him in the whole Pennsylvania political structure. Um, so so 80% of the people did not vote for him in primary feel that's a Republican pace felt he was too extreme. But the Pennsylvania GOP, knowing, knowing that he's not going to be a good candidate and he did not get a lot of the establishment support, still let the whole primary happen without picking a viable candidate yes. for a Republican to vote on. So once again, you have a candidate that 80% of your base are not excited about. 
And well, I'm not sure where you disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like you're agreeing. You're just elaborating well, on other agreeing. aspects. But no, I think the disagreeing part is about his um, well-spoken because you uh, and I went well, to one of the rally, right? And I then mean, I think he could have. I think he could have countered some of the extremist, you know, smear that the Democrats were using to do to the whole Republican Party. But I didn't mean that to say that I thought that he was the best candidate. I mean, I agree with you. I think that it's it, I think it's pretty uh, common knowledge that the state committee dropped the ball there by not endorsing. They pretty much guaranteed a Mastriano win. And when the top of the ticket doesn't inspire the voters, as you said, 80 percent didn't want him, mm -hmm. uh, then people don't come out to vote. It hurts the Republican turnout statewide. Or they say they hold their noses to vote for him. Um, yeah, some did that. And, he, and you he, know, I, the flip side of this is if the Republicans say, hey, you know, why would you put a candidate, the Democrats, you put a candidate up, you hide it from people, and he had a stroke, right? Whether you agree with January 6th or not, disagree with what happened on January 6th, and I think majority of the people felt like that was wrong, peaceful mm -hmm. protest, regardless what happened, we should be peacefully protest. The fact that there was some kind of liability, political liability attached with a candidate, I mm -hmm. felt like the party should say, hey, can you do a good for the party and don't run this time and then let somebody else run that do not have that kind of political liability attached with you? Well, I mean, the Democrat party, the Democrat state committee, they, they endorsed him. They picked him. So I agree with you. I think he should have dropped out. I mean, his, he, if you saw what we saw in the debate six months prior, he was in pretty bad shape. Mm -hmm. He was not fit to be running and they should have made that not, but they, they kept him. And I mean, I think to me, that's evidence that, you know, based on all that background and everything, you might say, well, Mastriano was doomed from the start. But we say that all the time in politics, but then we're surprised at the outcome. So even though he wasn't the best nominee, I mean, you don't use that to say, well, it didn't matter what kind of campaign. I mean, I think he still needed to run a good campaign and to try to overcome all of his weaknesses. He just didn't do it. No. And, you know, when you talk about messaging economy, the crime and all that stuff, um, first of all, compared to any other states, Pennsylvania is a relatively safe state, okay? So mm -hmm. if you talk about high crime, it's not affecting Pennsylvania as much as, let's say, Seattle, Portland, or California. Right. Economy is definitely number one issue. However, I think he did not hold down to that message. He talked about a lot of different things. Um, we went to one of his rallies, mm -hmm. and we, I sat there, I played on my phone, I did not hear anything that he would, well, he would do for me, but I heard a lot of stories about him, you know, serving right. in the military in Germany, and, yep. you know. I mean, we both critiqued that speech and didn't give him high marks. <laughs> no, it was right. like, I don't care what your background is, I want to know what you would do for me as a voter, right. as a constituent, as a Pennsylvania resident. And I think to a lot of people that listen to his fireside chat, they probably connected with him. But mm -hmm. I didn't listen to it. I'm not sure you did or not. Um, nope. So, yeah, so it, the percentage is small, but I still think the fault 
is on the Pennsylvania GOP that did not take care of the primary, um, did not pick the two. The two candidates I liked was Jason Ritchie, that's number one, and David White. They were both well-spoken. David White is a businessman, went from a poor person to like establish this company. They both could have made a great candidate and generated a lot of excitement, but again, that did not happen. Yeah, um, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I mean, they knew after the primary, um, you know, the top of the ticket is going to take the rest right. of the well, ticket. Well, oh, down. yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully that's a... Uh, an action item that the state committee takes and says, you know, going forward, we have to endorse people. We made a mistake. We can't do that again. You know, we have to pick one or a few and endorse them. You can't have 10, you know, going into a primary. It's it's just no good. I mean, and, and you know what? I, you, you might think I'm a little bit of conspiracy theorist here, but the people after the primary, the people was getting 0.8%, 1%, 5%. Why were they staying in the race? Uh, well, I, I think uh, now the, see, the people on the state committee might respond, well, we expected candidates to drop out. We expected the people to vote and the candidates to be responsible. You know, so they might counter with that, to, to your argument you just said. But So to that, to that effect... Democrat is way more disciplined as far as their um, absolutely their inner working. They're they're disciplined with our messaging. They're disciplined when yep. it comes to supporting a candidate, and they're very disciplined not to compete with our top candidate. You know, Connor mm -hmm. Lamb could have easily um, campaign against Fetterman and won. He was already a congressman, and. Right. Uh, you know, he's a good-looking guy. He's from Mount Lebanon. He could have been easily, but they made us, there's some kind of arrangement because during the primary, we barely see Connor Lamb mm -hmm. campaigning. Right. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I the one uh, area where I saw perfect coordination among the Democrats was in their messaging for abortion. You mm -hmm. know, when, when I first heard Biden say, we want Roe v. Wade. That's what we want. We want Roe v. Wade back. Well, when we had Roe v. Wade, they weren't necessarily saying that abortion was settled. You know, they weren't happy with it. So the GOP is characterizing the Democrat abortion stance as to the moment of birth. And, of course, the Democrats are trying to say the GOP stand for no abortion under any circumstances, you know, no exceptions. Mm -hmm. So they're characterizing each other for the extremes. And the Democrats came out. Biden, I heard Fetterman, Shapiro, they were all saying, we want Roe v. Wade, we're for Roe v. Wade, which is really a moderate kind of stance compared to what the debate had traditionally been. And I was worried about that when I first heard it because I thought the, the Republicans need to respond to this, but they just ignore it. They were so confident in the uh, economy crime issue that they just let it go. They didn't even engage abortion at all. Well, another thing about Republican, um, you know, is sometimes they're too afraid to confront confront an issue. They're too afraid to talk about it because, oh, the media going to take a little bits of this, little bits of yeah. that, and then exaggerate it. And another thing I thought, Democrat always, somehow, they're very good at branding because... Yeah. 
there's an issue of abortion, and then they say, oh, the Republican want to uh, restrict your reproductive rights. Okay, right. so to me, that's scary. <laughs> to me, women's rights. Yeah. Right? Well, they even extrapolated it out to contraception and you know biracial marriage. You know, they were right. implying that this is the Demo the Republicans are coming after you, and that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing, and and but what I was laughing about is I thought, wait a second, reproductive rights and abortion are complete opposite. Nobody right, right. going Good to point. stop you from reproduce. <laughs> right to not reproduce is what yeah, it is. <laughs> exactly. So it should have been that the Republican could have came out and said, "No, no, no. We don't want to stop you to reproduce. We want to. We want you to reproduce. Have as many children as you want, or don't." Right. But abortion is the opposite of reproduce, right? The, yeah. It's ending the reproduction. <laughs> so, um, and then, you know, again, being that me from another culture, I remember when I was a teenager, we will have these school assemblies. When you reach a certain age and the school assembly, you know, from ninth grade to 12th grade is showing you these movies telling you what happened to girls when they get pregnant and how their life change and but here's another path where you you know try not to get pregnant or just you know stay um until you get married have a stable life they show all these educational film so you have a clear in your head it's like oh i need to work on my academics i need to do this i need to do that but here I come to this country, I remember right after graduating college, MTV had a show called 16 and Pregnant. Yep. They basically yep. glorified teenage pregnancy, glorified the, um, you know, they don't look at the bad side. So all these little girls become reality TV stars. So at that yep. time, I remember groups of girls would try to get pregnant while they're still in school. Oh, I remember there were stories for that. Yeah. They made yeah. a pact. Let's get pregnant together. Yep. A pregnancy pact. So, exactly. Did and they then talk now about they're abortion? Like, okay, but do abortion now. It's okay you get pregnant at 16 because uh, now you can abort your child. You know, like, why don't we just, why can't pro choice be choosing safe sex or not yeah. to have sex? Why can't that be part of the choice too? Yeah. Hey, I I had on the abortion issue. So I heard this being talked about and it's a based on exit polls by Edison Research Network. And it was published by um, Washington Examiner. And basically they show the percentage of people within a demographic that voted Republican versus Democrat. So married men were 39 percent Democrat. 59% Republican. Okay. Wait, wait, explain that data again. 39% Democrat well, voted against or for abortion. Just just voted whether they voted Democrat or Republican. Okay. Okay. Exit polls. They asked people coming out of the polls, did you vote Republican or Democrat? Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. And they kept track of them by married men, married women, single men, single women. Mm -hmm. Okay. So married men... 39 to 59. So 20% more married men voted for Republicans. Okay. 
Married women, 42 to 56. So that's 14. So married women, 14% more voted for Republicans. Mm -hmm. Unmarried men, 45 to 52. So 7% of unmarried men, 7% more voted Republican and not Democrat. Unmarried women, 68% Democrat, 31% Republican. So they're at the 37% margin favor of, of Democrats. So that, if that's accurate, that tells you that unmarried women are the ones that elected the Democrats this time around. And that points to abortion. Well, that's the, of all those demographics, unmarried women who are going to be younger and things, and, and they're influenced in a different way, by the way. It's social media, TikTok, and all that. Um, you know, they're the ones that voted heavily for Democrats. Everybody else voted Republican. Well, another thing, you know, you talk about that. Actually, if you look at millennial generation and Gen Z, the, uh, the age of unmarried women are actually older, right? Mm -hmm. They're not your 22, 23-year-olds. They're actually going to the 30s and 40s. Sometimes they're single women in their 50s. So, um, yeah, I can understand as a female, as a woman, why, you know, when I was single before I was married, even when I was married, I was more democratic, and I didn't... I was I do I do not consider myself conservative until I had a child. Mm. Then once you had a Happens child, to a lot of us. <laughs> once you had a child, you start pay attention to way more things and you start yeah. become way more conservative. Um, but prior to that, you know, I always said I love Bill Clinton. <laughs> it was, and uh, I was more democratic than. Well, actually, Bill Clinton would not consider progressive mm -hmm. these days. If you look at back some of his policy. It's actually very similar to Trump's policy. Well, you know, Republicans are having a hard time, and they, they should, because based on all the polls, the vast majority of people were more concerned with the economy and crime than abortion and January 6th, okay? But if I look at these demographics, married men, married men are definitely going to be more concerned with uh, economy and crime than they are with abortion, you know, and you know, who knows if the threat to democracy uh, resonates. Married women, okay? You're married. What are you, you're more worried about economics and crime. And unmarried men, I mean, I don't know. I guess they're just, you know, not as worried about abortion. But it's only unmarried women. I mean, that's the only demographic, according to this poll, that cared more about abortion and uh, threat to democracy than crime in the economy. Yeah, and I I can agree with that. I, I want to just stop this topic for a minute. And I want to go back to what you said about Mastriano again. And then you, you you're saying Republican. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but let's I know. Go. Let's try you it. Said, well, let's let's put it. You said Republican is struggling. I don't think Republican is struggling in Florida or any other state. I think Republican is struggling here in Pennsylvania. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. you look at New York State, they just gained four congressional seats, turning a yep. blue turning all the blue districts red and really gave a Kathy Hogel a run for his for her money as far as in the governor's race. They have to pour so much money, you know, in the in the eleventh hour. I mean Florida, mm -hmm. talk of, I mean, you talk about a red tsunami. That happened in Florida and the Hispanic 
immigrant community is what made that happen, right? Right. Texas stay red, Georgia stay red, and interestingly, I read an article, Stacey Abram, one of the reasons she lost is because a lot of black men came out to vote, and they voted against her. Mm-hmm. They voted for Brian Kemp. So right. uh, it's a way of getting people excited, motivating the voters. So I think the, the Republican problem is here in Pennsylvania in well, this election cycle. I, I agree. I mean, most <laughs> everything we've been talking about really has been about Pennsylvania. But what else is, distinguishes Pennsylvania? I saw a tweet, and I, I'll just assume it was true, but someone said that Every single one of the candidates that the de- remember when the Democrats put money behind certain candidates in the Republican primary? Yes. Doug Mastriano was one of them. Yes. And this tweet said that every single candidate that the Democrats supported, that they funded to try to get the Republicans to elect, every single one of them lost. Oh, no, now, no, with Mastriano late. being, what's that? Carrie Lake in Arizona still she's still she's still fighting, right? Okay, I don't know. Did they did they put money behind her? I think what my understanding is the Democrat um, has put a lot of money in what they would consider the Trump endorsed candidate extreme right, right. candidates. Yes, but Carrie right. Lake and Mastriano was one of them. Mastriano the Democrats was one. were running advertisements during the primary pro Mastriano advertisements that was well known mm-hmm. so by putting him there that actually facilitated their entire message you know their message of extremism and you know threats to democracy and they want to take away all your abortion rights Mastriano is the poster boy for that mm-hmm. so it I mean it's it's a strategy that they seem to work with precision and, you know, that it, it played out in Pennsylvania. Of course, it's not going to affect Florida because you have Ron DeSantis and you have tons and tons of, I think, Republicans moving to Florida. Democrats, too. But I, he claims that the number of registered Republicans has increased in the last couple of years. He said that at CPAC. And it's higher than it's ever been in Florida. Well, I mean, if you think about in Florida, there's a lot of people immigrating there from Cuba. You know, Absolutely. why would we want to They're- leave Cuba and then make sure this country became another Cuba? And the strategy was saying what Democrat Party was doing. I'm just thinking, wow, how Chinese of them. <laughs> it's a very, yep. it's great. Um, you know, this is what the Communism Party in China would have done. So Miami-Dade County, okay, mm-hmm. uh, hardcore blue county, went for DeSantis. First time. And, Ruby- and First Marco time Rubio. Ever. And and you have a lot of um, you know Cuban you know Cuban Americans uh, right. Hispanic Americans in general. I spent three weeks in Florida, two weeks in South Florida, and I was wearing a CPAC hat. I didn't realize why so many people were talking to me about politics. It was probably because of my hat. But you know, people, where are you from? Pennsylvania. You need to move to Florida. We Republicans are here, and I mean. <laughs> I'm talking people with thick accents. I don't even know what country they were from. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, black men. You know, everybody, it seemed like everybody I ran into was commenting about, you know, Republicans as as if, you know, the the Florida is a superior state because we vote for Republicans. That's that's what they were telling me. I mean, that's just anecdotal. Right. 
Right. But, you know, we they definitely saw, um, you know, so the, that that's one of the things I think the Republican Party um, did well. And I think they need to continue to work towards that is reaching out to minorities and immigrants, you know, other conservative minded people who traditionally don't align with the Republican Party. I think they made progress in that in the border states. And I think they need to continue that. Well, it's not that I don't think the traditional people don't align themselves with the uh, Republican Party because, as I said before, Democrat Party has a very great way of branding. They have a lot of yeah. young, enthusiastic activists, um, at least I see here in Allegheny County, that the Republican Party do not have. And we spoke about this before, that the candidates in the Republican Party are now either they're not willing or they're afraid to reach out to people they they're different than them to reach out mm -hmm. to people they're from another country to reach out to the black community um, because if you think about it most immigrant coming from another country holds conservative values right. the reason they want to come to the United States because of freedom because you yeah. know I mean they're that's leaving socialism <laughs> yeah they're leaving, leaving socialism. socialism. Why do you think Biden is pushing the Venezuelans away from the border, welcoming everybody from Mexico? Right, right. All of a sudden, <laughs> you got to remain in Mexico. You, if you're from Venezuela, you can't come in. Right. You know, but everybody else, come on in. Um, so, I think that the local party here need to do a better job. I mean, we how many rush, how many small business we have? They're owned by. Look at all the gas stations, right? Right. They mostly owned by people from East India, and mm -hmm. their religions are Hindu and Muslim. Okay, so if you go into these business, and and now in India is a hierarchy system. Basically, the mafia, the gangs, the mafia controls the economic status. So if you are in India, if you are janitor, you can never be anything more but a janitor. However, they come to this country, they seek freedom, they want to be better themselves. So why, but nobody go reach out to that community and the Muslim Hindu community are extremely conservative. Oh, and I was yeah. even more conservative than you and I. Um, the Chinese community, they're very concerned about the education. As you see, they went to sue, they brought a lawsuit to Supreme Court for college admission. There's a reverse discrimination of Asian right. students. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, and then the black community here in Pittsburgh, so they're the biggest victim for crime. Okay, yeah. so don't tell me uh, some a parent from Homewood are not concerned about their children's education or their, but the the local GOP I, here I just not reaching they're out. There are, there are shootings in these neighborhoods like multiple times every single week, and it barely registers on the news. It's like barely. nobody cares. Yeah. It, it's it's really a problem. So recently, you know, there's a funeral home gets shot up, um, and the, the people that went to did the shooting, they're 16-year-olds, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder to yourself, these kids did not get born and say, I'm going to shoot up a funeral one day. So what happened at 16 mm -hmm. years old? What made you decide to do that? Right. So we I mean, there's there's just not enough outreach. Um, so, you, you know, there's so much work can be done from the Republican Party to spread their net. Yeah. But, 
you know, I've been watching this whole sh thing for years, and it's very frustrating to me personally. Mm -hmm. So what? What? Um, I think we should probably wrap up. I mean, this mm -hmm. is obviously targeting you know local Republican audience. What? What positive thing can you say? You know, I mean, everybody's down right now. Let's try to give you know a positive vision, something that you know that we can build on. Um, you know, what, what what can you say about the the future of the local Republican Party in a positive way? Well, I think from 2020 to midterm, number one is there's definitely a big increase in the base and the volunteers. I do see right. way yep. more young people want to get involved. There's a lot more funding. <laughs> yes. There you go. Hey, I'm new. Yeah, there's a lot more funding, and um, and and I think that's not going to go away. I think that's not going to go away. And the future vision I see, I feel like there's a lot of fractions right now in different in the Republican yes. Party. If we would just merge all the fractions together, forget about our differences, right? Unite the party, and then have some kind of strategy because the party has the right messaging mm -hmm. and the right policy. It's just that if you are fr all fragmented, it, you're never going to get together and win. That is I one agree. thing the Democrat does very well at. They, they're, mm -hmm. they, I'm sure there's internal struggles. They disagree with each other. There's, you know, unpleasantness happening between primaries, but they don't show that in public and they don't ditch each other in public. And mm -hmm. and I think that's, that positive energy needs to be united. I I agree. I mean, that's one of the more different. I mean, I'm new. I'm new to committee politics and part. But, uh, you know, I don't dislike anyone that I've met. And I definitely would never call any of them bad people. But yet, everybody, every time you talk to people and you listen to them talk, there's always someone that they don't like within the party. There's always bad people. I mean, personally, I would like to see us just stop using the term rhino. I mean, I've used uh -huh. it a whole bunch. But, I mean, you know, understand the fact that, look what happened, okay? Mastriano was probably the perfect MAGA candidate, you know? I mean, if he had won, he would have been like a DeSantis, okay? But... He he was he was a long shot. He was probably he was he, basically he could, he didn't have a chance to win. The committees knew it. The, everybody knew it. So you know we've got to accept that and say that you know when we in, when we maybe we're going to elect somebody that doesn't do absolutely everything that you like. And abortion is going to be a, a, an issue to test us. So, but look at the idea that once they're elected, you can continue to work to influence Republicans. That's one of the ways I look at it. If I don't agree with somebody's stance, say, on abortion, but they're going to run against it, elect them, okay? And then use your influence within the party to try to encourage them to, to go in a different direction. Because once it, the way we're divided now, if a Democrat's in office, they're not listening to any Republicans. Guaranteed. You have no influence over them. I, I think, you know, there's a couple of things I think Republicans really need to get an understanding that is a different demographic, is a couple of different generations. People's mm -hmm. thinking on abortion or same-sex marriage have changed. But there is a fraction of Republican Party that say, if you are for same-sex marriage, if you are for abortion, I'm not going to vote for you. Well, that's ridiculous, Right. I mean, yeah. I believe that's a personal choice. So if you believe 
if you believe everybody have their personal freedom, okay, so if, if two people love each other, get married, does not affect my gas bill. Mm -hmm. God bless them. You know, right. if you can last through your marriages, <laughs> marriage is not easy. So go be be miserable just like all of us, right? No, I'm very happy with my marriage. I don't want to say that. Well, and, and you know uh, what? The the Republican platform of crime and economy, that was the kitchen table that issues. Fantastic. That's the real impactful issues. Right. But they let the Democrats beat them on the culture war. I mean, the, the Democrat issues right. are the culture war, the abortion and the, you know. But the young people care it? about the culture war. Okay, but look at this way. The young people care about the culture war way more than the kitchen table issue. If I'm still right. living home with my parents and I'm not paying no mortgage, I'm not paying my electric bill, it, if I make whatever money I make, I feed my tank, pay my insurance, pay my cell phone, I live in the basement or, you know, whatever, I'm not too concerned about the economy issue. Right. right? So, so I ran out the other, right before election, bought enough rice and pasta to last me six months for my family. Well, that's not something a 20-year-old, a single guy or single gal live at home care about. Mm -hmm. Right? Half of the time right. you're like, half of the time you're like, why would you go to Starbucks buy an $8 frappuccino? I can never, I, I will never spend that kind of money because that's important to me to save every dollar for my family. I got bills to pay. Mm -hmm. So that's important things for us. And we're not reaching out to those Gen Z's and millennials. And I think that's a big problem too. What I yeah. hear just the, the, the Republican just kind of dismisses them. But you got to understand the Gen Z's and the millennial, they're in their 40s now. They're the mm -hmm. 40s and 20s. That's your large voter base. Right. Well, I, I, I totally agree. I, I would say for the uh, uh, positive, I mean, there's always another election. As soon as one election ends, there's another election cycle coming around. And we have school board elections and yes. commissioner elections this cycle. And I, I think that, um, you know, if we learn, see, I, I come from a business background. And everything that we did, if we designed a new product or we embarked on an initiative or we did a project, I always like to, when we were finished, whether it went well or not, we look back on it. I call it a postmortem. We look back and we say, "What did we do well? What did we? Where did we fall short?" And let's get let's get better. But we, it takes honesty. It takes fearless, willing to admit, "Yes, I didn't do this correctly." I didn't. So you know, and I think that's an opportunity for us. I think we can work on our messaging. You know, when we're doing these local runs, realize you're not talking to your echo chamber. When you go out there right. and talk to voters, you're, you've got to speak on their level to the things that they care about. And, and I think we can learn that. Um, people, I mean, we worked with a lot of people. We helped candidates, and that gets you side by side with, a, you know, people put a lot of time. I mean, I'm impressed with some of the work. You know, I put more work in because of the people that I was around who were, were just tirelessly working for these candidates. And I, we, we put our money into it, and then we have this big letdown. But, um, I mean, those good people are still there. I mean, you know, it's about us coming together, learning from this, and, and moving forward. Because come next election, it's going to be different issues and a whole different set, you know, set of circumstances. Well, I, I don't want to end the show. I have a couple points I want to make. Number one, I don't think 
we we need to have these debates earlier than the 11th, 10th hour. You mean before... before uh, oh, okay, go ahead. I mean, before I million agree. votes casted, you know, that we found out, you know, Mr. Fetterman was struggling to speak. Um, I don't think that's fair to any party's voters. I, I don't think that was fair to Democratic voters either. You know, there's I, a million vote yeah. casted already. I mean, I don't know if this is practical, but... I agree with you. I don't know who makes the election rules and how all that works, but if they could require at least one debate and require it to happen before the first vote is cast, I think that would that would be good for the voters. Yeah, the primary ended in May, so I don't mm -hmm. see why we have to do a debate five months later. They have plenty of right. time to prepare. Do one like right after Labor Day or do one around August or whatever. Um, right. You know, another thing I think that the Republican here's a two, two things I hope the Republicans are not going to continue is number one, a lot of Republicans still talked about 2020. Now we're in 2022 already. So for two years, rather than focusing on 2022, they just keep complaining about 2020. I think that was a huge mistake. I um, number two is not utilizing mail-in vote. Thank you. That's the one I almost interrupted you on. Go on. Go ahead. You, I'll let you talk. I talk enough well, about Well, yeah. That. I mean, that, that I think has to happen because, you know, we it's, at 7 p.m., the election returns come up and all the Democrats are way ahead. That's because mm -hmm. they had been counting mail-in ballots from the very from 7 a.m. on. So as soon as they, you know, release the first you know, results, you have Democrats way ahead. They had Republicans only represented 14 percent of the mail-in ballots. And I don't know if that's Allegheny County or Pennsylvania wide, but it's just unacceptable. And wow. I mean, you know, what, someone told me if you're out 50 days before an election and you're knocking on doors and people door knocking works, but you, you talk to someone, they like you and they're like, OK, yeah, I'm going to vote. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to vote. 50 days later, that that is long gone, okay? I mean, that impact that you had. So how many of those people are going to vote? You you go to them with a mail-in. I did the mail-in ballot for my father this go-round. It is so easy, okay? It makes the voting process so easy. You help the person, find, you know, when you knock on doors, offer them the mail-in ballot. Say so we can, you know, make it easy for you. If you're not sure if you're going to go out, some places have long lines. I, I think the Republicans have to embrace it and they have to make it part of their door knocking early on and, and get those people who say they're going to vote, get them to vote right now. So you can vote today. Right. And then the last two weeks of this door knocking, people already made up their mind who they're going to vote for. Okay. So you knocking on doors for two weeks Half of the people send their ballots in already. You're no longer influencing that vote. So, um, you know, I, I think that that just ha that has to really, really done better. And uh, just a little bit plug for our other show, which is a candidate interview show, mostly politics. Um, Bob and I decided that right now the election is over. So we did an interview yesterday with a gentleman that's a filmmaker and um, so we are, we're going to start interview some everyday people, talk about their story, um, human side of the story, you know, that's related to social issues. And then we understand the local election going to start pretty soon. The, a lot of the committee are recruiting people for council, um, for school board. And within Allegheny County, we have a county executive election next year, which is huge. 
Um, and then I, I understand a lot of county council, a lot of positions up for grab. The DA's position, the controller, the treasurer. So we're welcoming anyone who's running for school board. This is whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. We welcome you to come on our show. And Bob, you want to tell everybody how to get in touch with us? Uh, <laughs> oh, by email? By email, yeah. Oh, yeah. So our email is mostlypolitics2022 at gmail.com. You can email yeah. us you know, anytime. You can comment you know, on our uh, Facebook page if you like. We'll, we, we keep track of that. Um, even our YouTube channel. Comment on our YouTube channel. But uh, we should be easy to contact. Yeah. And this conversation with Bob and Sherry, that's, it's going to happen once a week. Yes. And we, our goal is to go live. Um, we're recording right life. now, but we have to do some technical things and, and be prepared ourselves. But we'd like to do a live show once a week, probably at noon on a Monday is what we're leaning towards. And people can still catch that show on YouTube after we do a live, right. correct? Okay. Right. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm also going to put it on the podcast network. So it'll be an audio podcast and, you know, there'll be the video on YouTube, Rumble, maybe Facebook, whatever. I think okay. when we live stream, we could live stream to at least two platforms at the same time. Okay. All right. Well, we want to thank our viewers, thank our subscribers. So if you see the video, please hit the subscriber button on the bottom of the page to get our updates. Um, we want to continue to bring you great content. In the meantime, we want to thank everybody in the past six months to help us establish this little show. We're going to continue to go strong. So much appreciated. Yeah, thanks to the viewers and the candidates and everyone that come on. It's, it's actually a great experience. I really enjoy doing it. And, you know, hopefully we're making an impact. Well, thank you so much.